Welcome to Fiscal One-on-One. This Iowa Legislative Services Agency audio program consists of interviews conducted by the Fiscal Services Division staff. Each brief conversational interview features an expert answering questions concerning a fiscal topic of interest within an Iowa State agency. On Monday, October 26, 2015, Deb Kozell, Senior Legislative Analyst with the Fiscal Services Division of the Legislative Services Agency, interviewed Susan Kozak, Bureau Chief for the Mines and Minerals Bureau of the Iowa State Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship. They talked about the Abandoned Mined Land Reclamation Program administered through the Iowa Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship. Hello, my name is Deb Kozell and I work for the Legislative Services Agency or the LSA. Today I'm talking to Susan Kozak, the Mines and Minerals Bureau Chief, about the Abandoned Mines Land Reclamation Program that is administered in the Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship. Hello, Susan. Thanks for discussing the Abandoned Mines Land Reclamation Program today. And can you give us a general overview of the program, for example, like when the program began and what the goals of the program are? Sure. Thanks for having me, Deb. We're kind of a little-known program in state government. When I tell people that I work in mine reclamation, I kind of get a blank look. So I love talking about what we do. The department received the primacy for the Abandoned Mine Land Program in 1983 by the Secretary of Interior, and we work cooperatively with the U.S. Office of Surface Mining, OSM. I mention OSM a lot, so (laughs) Office of Surface Mining. And Iowa has more than 13,000 acres of abandoned mine land oh, that really? were from coal mining in Iowa, oh, I didn't know that. Um, and they were mined prior to 1977, and okay. that's when the regulations came into play, and so anything prior to 1977 is considered abandoned and eligible for reclamation. Okay. Anything after 1977 had to have a coal mining permit okay. and would be considered permitted and bonded, and that's a whole another topic. Now, did the department do that, or did the federal government? The department did that, okay. so we had primacy for the regulatory portion also, so okay. we did do that. I didn't know that. Yeah. <laughs> so the Abandoned Mine Land Program, these sites are eligible to be reclaimed under Title IV of the Federal Surface Mining Control and Reclamation Act. Okay. We call that SMACRA, the term. And most of these sites we reclaim are surface mines where the overburden or the material lying above the coal was removed and to get to the coal to extract it, but without any provision for reclamation following mining. So you end up with large piles that are acidic material that have been left there since mining, typically 50, 60 years, maybe even more than that. Mm -hmm. And at this time, there's very little growing on them because they are so acidic, they're so nasty of a material that nothing grows on them. So you just have these barren waste sites that are typically privately owned. And so that's why we come in and reclaim them to try and help out that environmental and safety hazard too. There's approximately 300 Iowa sites located mostly in southeastern part of the state. Marion and Mahaska County have 80% of the surface mines, so okay. we typically work in those two counties a lot. All the known sites are inventoried by our program, and then they're approved by the Federal Office of Surface Mining. And after approval, they get entered into what's called the Abandoned Mine Land Inventory System, known as AMLIS. Okay. And that's an online database that's available to the public. Oh, okay. And then we have logins that we can get more detailed information as program people. So the department is like the primacy, so what is their role in the program? Sure. So the department receives the federal funds each year to reclaim the eligible abandoned mine sites. The criteria for ranking the sites are based on the environmental problems and any potential public health and safety hazards. Those are the actual terms in the surface mining law. Do you ever get like complaints from from other landowners about a site? 
once in a while because you can have some acidic drainage coming off of these mine sites and so the downstream landowner okay. might get upset about that okay so yeah once in a while we do get complaints they've been around for so long 50 to 60 years that most people just that's part of life okay. in those areas and so normal. they just realize that that's normal but we want to try and take care of that that's though <laughs> and the inventory is continually being added to to make it more site specific or to reflect elimination of problem areas as we do project completion and also once in a while we find out about a new site so we're adding to our inventory too so it's not just a static we have 300 sites we do add to it as we find out about new sites so if you find a new site you have to have a does that person have to have a permit it would be an abandoned mine site and it's kind of amazing that sometimes they hide we've used lidar technology oh, really? we've used putting newspaper articles out there trying to find them but once in a while we find out about one that's been sitting there for 50 years and we just didn't know about it. I so. understand. Okay. <laughs> they kind of hide on us sometimes. Sure, I'm sure they do. And it's important to point out too that the surface mining loss macro that I mentioned it's due to sunset in 2021 so unless there's a congressional reauthorization the abandoned mine land program would go away oh, and okay. we won't be able to fund any more reclamation sites and of those 300 that we have in Iowa we've completed about a 100 okay so we're only about a third of the way through so okay. we have a lot of work to do so absolutely. we're hoping for reauthorization that we're very active in that topic well, also absolutely <laughs> so how do you guys determine which one is the prioritize or do you like to do an annual plan where you prioritize so many projects every year is it like budget driven or environmental driven or how we prioritize the sites we look at our site inventory that amless document and they are ranked. The Office of Surface Mining gives us certain priorities. Priority one features are very hazardous to human health or safety. Maybe it's a high wall that's really close to a house or a road where a car could drive off that high wall or where cows can fall off the high wall. So then that would be a high priority. We've had instances of that. Holy cow. Yeah. <laughs> and then priority two features are a little further away from the public, but they're still hazardous. And then priority three are the lowest level priority features that we we can address and those typically are more of an environmental concern and we have to have a priority one feature at that site in order to do or a priority one or two feature to be able to do the threes oh, okay. without special permission so oh, okay. but that's how they're ranked there and then we do try and split it up geographically by which spreading out the reclamation throughout the different counties that are affected and if there's any watershed groups or any local concerns about a specific site, we take that into consideration also. Now, how many people do you have working for you in this program? And kind of what do they do? And are they like regionally located or just how does that work? Sure. So we have eight people in the Bureau, including myself and an administrative assistant. Okay. And we're all located here in Des Moines. And then we just travel out to the coal areas. Marion and Mahaska County are only about an hour yeah, away, so it's far. pretty easy to do that out of Des Moines. We have three project coordinators, and they are assigned a project at the very beginning, and then they see that project through the inventory, the design, the construction, and then final closeout of the project. So they see it from beginning to end, working with the landowners, working with the consultants and the construction company. And then we have two internal professional engineers that they do some internal in-house designs on sites, smaller sites, but then they primarily review the outside engineering consultants okay. and make sure that their designs are what we're looking for, that they're the best use of our funds, and they're meeting the priority features to abate those features. Okay. And then we have one environmental specialist, and he primarily does the inventory out in the field and making sure that analyst 
databases kept up to date. And then he also does our environmental assessments to meet the National Environmental Policy Act requirements, okay. NEPA requirements. Okay. And so that can be very extensive, making sure that we comply with all the other federal laws for threatened and endangered species, wetlands and waters of the U.S., archaeological reviews, pulling all of those things together. So he's a busy guy doing that. Yeah. <laughs> so when does the landowner become involved? Do they hit in the beginning, or do you contact them when you want to do a project? They contact you, or how's all that work? We kind of keep track of who owns the properties. It's not in the AMLIS database, so we just kind of try and keep track of that. But when we get close to doing a project, we'll look it up on the assessor's website, find out who the landowners are, and then we contact them and work with them in the design and development of the reclamation plan. We like to have them involved right from the beginning from the conceptual review. We stress with the landowner that the reclaimed land is fragile, but can be used for light pasture, occasional hang, maybe recreational areas, wildlife habitat, and typically we'll have some wetlands too on those sites. The land is privately owned and it remains that way through the entire reclamation process. We don't ever take over on the land. They just sign easements and construction so that we have the permission to be on that site. And there's no cost to the landowner for reclamation. However, at the end, after reclamation, there's probably going to be some future routine maintenance items. Sure. Just like any land, sure. you're going to have to add some fertilizer once in a while, or you're going to have to add some lime, different things to make sure that it's successful. The Office of Surface Mining, they do approve your list of projects. Is that done like annually, or is it a one-time deal? Like you say, you found one site, so do you have to add that to the list, or just kind of briefly, how does that work? The Office of Surface Mining, they review our field inventory results after we have collected that and we submit it into the AMLIS database. Then they review that and click approve if it's okay. okay. And then after we complete a final engineering design on a site and the environmental reviews, then we request an authorization to proceed from OSM, and that's a different document, but that shows that everything is in place and ready to go for reclamation, and they approve that, and they review the project again at that time. Oh, okay. So there's kind of two different phases of review for, for projects. Lots of review. How does the department get funding for the program? And it's federal funds, but how does all that process work? Currently, active coal mine operations in the U.S. pay a per ton fee into a fund with the Office of Surface Mining. And then that fund is redistributed to the states based on a complex formula that's in the SMACRA okay. document. Since Iowa, we have historic coal mining, then we're entitled to a share of the fund, but we're considered a minimum program state. So we get the minimum allotment each year based on the surface mining law. This money is distributed to the states through grants that we apply for each year. Currently, our grant for Iowa is the minimum program states are supposed to get $3 million, but due to sequestration, we're getting about $2.78 million. Oh, yes. So not quite all our money, but yeah. <laughs> sequestration, what's going to affect that program? It affects pretty much everything, I yeah. found out, yeah. <laughs> and then this grant money pays for our, our AML program salaries, our overhead, our engineering fees with the consultants for the designs, the actual reclamation construction costs. So it's a balance every year to stay in budget, but still get as much reclamation completed as we can each year and get those priority features knocked off. So each year we're notified though of what our approved grant amount is. It's okay. roughly that 2.78 right now. And then we submit expenditures to OSM to get reimbursed after okay, we so spend Okay, so you spend it. the money, spend the then you get reimbursed. Yeah, so okay. we have a drawdown on our grant okay. based on what we're spending. So once you have your project completed, does the department have to stay involved with that or do you walk away or how does that, what do you do? 
Typically, our Bureau will observe the completed reclamation sites for five years. This helps us kind of learn from each project. We're always trying new design elements or new techniques for reclamation, and so we like to learn from our oh, past projects. and we'll kind of see if something worked or didn't work. Right, okay. exactly. Right now we're doing some natural stream design techniques. Oh. It's called a squiggly ditch in <laughs> our office, but it mimics what a natural stream would look like in the past and trying to have less maintenance and better success in the future with these streams that we have to deal with that were on the sites. So that's one of the new techniques that we're trying, but we're always trying to learn new things. So we do like to go back and observe them for five years. And also if there's any engineering or construction flaws that we notice that mm -hmm. a problem arises from that, maybe a terrace blows out because it wasn't properly designed or installed, then we will go back and fix those if possible. But we do like our landowners to work with the local soil and water conservation district offices, the SWCDs. We have a great partnership and work with them a lot and we encourage those landowners to develop that same relationship because they can give them a lot of advice on how to handle these sites in the future. Mm. The local people they have a, a lot of past history with us so they understand these sites and they know how to help a landowner with some future issues. Mostly it's private land but can you put public land into a reclamation project? Both private and public lands are eligible but the majority of the abandoned mine lands here in Iowa are on private land okay. so just I think 99% of them probably are on private land. I think the last private land one that we did was about 10 years ago, and it was down by Lake Red Rock. Okay. And it was a really good partnership between us, the Army Corps of Engineers, who had part of the land, and then a lot of local conservation and watershed groups. Oh, that's good. Yeah, so that one was a really nice one. And when we go out to that one, it's a really nice nature area. They oh, really great. didn't do much to it, so you find a lot of big blue stem and oh, bald great. eagles and oh, lots of, it's a nice site, yeah. That's great. All right, now my one question to interrupt, with the publicity this summer from the Gold King Mine Discharge from Colorado, has there been any concerns with discharge from abandoned mine areas in Iowa? That's been a very hot topic within, we have an association of abandoned mine land programs, and so everybody's been getting lots of emails and questions from newspapers and different people wondering about each individual state. But really in Iowa, it's not an issue here, that kind of situation. Typically for underground coal mines, if we have a problem here, it's going to be a subsidence. That's what we would call it. And it's where an, a mined out area and an underground mine has been, or that's what we would call a room typically. So okay. a room in a mine would collapse, the okay. roof would collapse, and that's 100 feet below the ground typically. So then it trickles up to the surface and you might see a small hole or subsidence okay. or depression on the Does surface. Does it ever happen where the whole thing just collapsed? Have you ever seen that? No, not a major big one. Typically, yeah, they're going to be the size of this little conference table that we're sitting at. Oh, okay, that's about good. five feet around, and a farmer will find it like out in their pasture or something, and so they'll call us. And we have a program that we go out and we abate that hazard. So okay. we'll go out with a backhoe or an excavator and see what's going on. Is it mine related? And we'll fill it back in. And if it's not mine related, then we're technically not supposed to do anymore, but we do go out and investigate those. But we only have less than five of those in a year where oh, we go good. out and investigate and oh, see. Very good. Yeah, it's not a major issue for us here in Iowa. So hopefully no Gold King mine discharges here. No. Thank you again for this informative overview. Uh, many people in Iowa are unaware of the abandoned mine coal mines in Iowa. And for more information, you can visit the Department of Agriculture and Land Stewardship's website at www iowaagriculture.gov and type in 
Abandoned Minds in the search box. Thanks again for your time, Susan. It was very informative. Thanks, Deb.